It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Now we turn to the Mountain Eagle to read news from Whitesburg. Your reader today is Bill Van Arstel. We will begin with the edition dated April 2nd, 2022, which the publishers have donated to Radio I. As a reminder, Radio I is a reading service intended for people who are blind or have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. The first story is the caption of a photo, Whitesburg resident, a bald eagle flies over Tunnel Hill in Whitesburg over the weekend. The majestic bird has apparently taken up residence near the Tanglewood Trail. The next story is State and Local Officials Fighting Sale of Kentucky Power. Does buyers see Eastern Kentucky as cash cow? A hearing on the sale of Kentucky Power to Liberty Utilities Canada Corporation dragged through a second day Tuesday as attorneys for the State Attorney General's Office, Walmart, and the Kentucky Industrial Utilities Customers Association hammered away on the math involved in computing how much money American Electric Power will make on the sale. Meanwhile, 94th District State Representative Angie Hatton and Letcher County Judge Executive Terry Adams are urging residents concerned about the sale to send letters and emails or make phone calls to the Kentucky Public Service Commission before Friday. The profit AEP will reap from the sale is one of the main reasons for concern, Hatton said, saying Liberty was the only bidder for the company and bid $585 million more for Kentucky Power than AEP was asking. She said it makes her wonder if Liberty sees customers here as a cash cow. It's hard to understand why they would pay that much without getting it back, she said. Kentucky Attorney General David Cameron filed an intervention in the sale case which must be approved by the PSC. While Hatton said she would be happy with rebidding the company to see if a nonprofit such as a power cooperative would buy Kentucky Power and reduce the rates, she said she would also be fine with the Attorney General's proposal that 90% of excess profits on the sale be split among Kentucky Power's 165,000 customers. While Hatton believes the $585 million would be excess profits, Kentucky Power has argued after taxes it will have a profit of $40 million. For its part, Liberty has said it will reduce rates by 14 to 16 percent for two years, keep all the current employees, and hire 100 additional employees to take over billing and customer service functions Kentucky Power now shares with AEP. Chuck Sexton Chief Executive Officer of Industrial Development Organization One East Kentucky, said his organization supports the sale. As for the rate reduction, that's all good, but what matters the most to us is to continue to see diversification of industry and job creation within the coal fields of Appalachia and the nine counties One East Kentucky serves. One East Kentucky was one of several economic development groups that received financial support from Kentucky Power that attended the PSC hearing to speak in favor of the sale, 
saying Liberty executives have committed to continuing Kentucky Power's work in economic development. Others included representatives of Hazard Perry County Economic Development and the Ashland Alliance. The Ashland Alliance is focused on Greenup and Boyd counties, where Liberty intends to locate its Kentucky headquarters. Pike County Judge Executive Ray Jones also spoke in support of the sale to Liberty. Hatton and Adams were the only two from Letcher County to speak out against the sale at the meeting. Hatton said she was happy Liberty is keeping Kentucky Power's employees and has promised to hire more, but unhappy that its focus is so heavily in renewable energy rather than coal, oil, and gas. She told the PSC that she does support the Attorney General's attempt to have the excess profits spread out among the company's customers. It would add insult to injury to allow AEP to walk away with another windfall, she said. Adams said he is worried the company will have to raise rates to pay for its purchase and maintenance. While Liberty has promised us rate reductions up front, we're in it for the long haul, he said. The folks I represent cannot pay their power bills now. Attorneys for the AG's office cast doubt on the profits AEP says it will realize from the sale and extracted testimony from a Liberty Utilities executive that Kentucky Power has spent far less on maintenance than similar companies. According to testimony at the hearing, electrical service was off to some Kentucky Power customers for 16 days during an ice storm in February of 2021. Not counting those days, Kentucky Power had 518 interruptions during that year. A company official could not define what constitutes an interruption, but said it would be more than a brief flicker that would cause digital clocks to blink. In the next story, COVID-19 cases fall drastically here. Only eight new cases of COVID-19 were reported in Letcher County for the previous seven days, according to Monday's report from the State Department of Public Health. The new figures show an average incident rate of 5.5 per 100,000 for the county for the same seven-day period. That number is down drastically from six weeks ago when the incident rate was 149.1. As the number of new cases fall sharply here, the BA2 subvariant of the Omicron variant has become the dominant strain of COVID-19 in the world. The illness caused by that variant is no more serious than Omicron B1 or B11, experts say, but is even more easily spread. While Letcher and Pike counties remain in the yellow area of the COVID map put out by the U.S. Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, Harlan and Bell counties have moved into the green, meaning masks and social distancing are now a personal choice there. Counties to the northwest along the Kentucky 15 Mountain Parkway Corridor remain in the red, meaning that health officials still recommend that anyone visiting or living in those counties wear well-fitted masks in all indoor settings and continue to practice social distancing and other precautions. The Virginia counties of Wise, Dickinson, and Lee are also in the red. Since the pandemic began two years ago, 105 people in Letcher County have died of COVID-19 and more than 6,721, 31.1%, have been infected. The latest figure for total cases was March 4th. The state no longer reports those numbers. Meanwhile, the Federal Drug Administration on Tuesday authorized second booster shots of both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines for persons over 50 
and immunocompromised persons. The CDC must still issue guidance on who exactly should get the fourth shot. The booster for older adults and people who are immune compromised is meant to get ahead of the virus before fall, when the number of cases is expected to rise again. The next headline is, Police say Jeep was stolen in Virginia. Whitesburg City Police and the Letcher County Sheriff's Office recovered a stolen vehicle in a downtown Whitesburg parking lot Tuesday evening. Deputy Sheriff James Norris said he received a message from a deputy jailer that Kobe Milam, for whom Norris had been looking, had been at the jail and left in a black Jeep Cherokee. Norris located the Jeep in the Broadway parking lot about 5.15 p.m. Tuesday, with Milam's father, Bobby Milam, seated in the driver's seat with the engine running. Norris wrote in a citation that he checked the vehicle's license tag and the SUV had been reported stolen from Gale Bocanegra in Gate City, Virginia. Norris, Whitesburg Assistant Police Chief Justin Hunsaker, and Officer Mike Garner surrounded the vehicle in the parking lot and handcuffed the driver while they searched the vehicle. Bobby Milam is charged with receiving stolen property. Milam, 43, of Joe's Branch, Jenkins, was lodged in the Letcher County Jail. The next story is, Charter School Bill is approved, House and Senate, awaits governor. After years of inaction, charter schools would gain a foothold in Kentucky and be supplied with a permanent funding stream under a bill that won passage Tuesday in the State House and later the State Senate. The bill calling for initial charter school openings cleared the House on a 51 to 46 vote after a nearly three-hour debate. On the same day, the measure barely emerged from a House committee. Twenty-two Republican lawmakers aligned with Democrats to oppose the proposal, but the measure mustered enough House support to advance to the Senate. Republicans have supermajorities in both chambers. Only a handful of days are left to pass the bill in time to ensure lawmakers could take up a promised veto by Democratic Governor Andy Beshear. The bill had a bumpy journey through the House, reflecting the hot-button status of charter schools in the bluegrass state. The measure was removed from one House committee and reassigned to the Education Committee, which underwent a couple of last-minute membership changes before the crucial vote that helped push the bill through committee. Opponents put up a spirited fight in the full House. During the long debate, Democratic Representative Angie Hatton said, you can cut the tension in this room with a knife today. Kentucky's Republican-led legislature authorized charter schools in 2017, but none have been created because lawmakers did not provide a permanent funding mechanism. The new measure would set up a long-term funding method for charter schools. Public charters, like traditional public schools, would receive a mix of local and state tax support. Charter school opponents said charters would divert badly needed funding from traditional public schools. In my opinion, House Bill 9 is a vote against public education, said Republican Representative Timmy Truitt. Supporters portrayed it as a way to give parents more choices for their children's schooling. This is another option for our public schools to give parents a choice to send their kids somewhere that the parent thinks is a better option for their child, said GOP Representative Chad McCoy. Another key feature of the measure would require at least two charter schools be created under pilot projects, one in Louisville and one in northern Kentucky. 
My hope is if we run a pilot project, that will show the rest of the state there's nothing to be afraid of, McCoy, the bill's lead sponsor, said during the committee hearing. These things are going on all over the country, McCoy said, and they're not going to hurt public schools. 90% of the kids still go to traditional public schools. The guardrails included in the 2017 law to oversee charter schools would remain intact, he said. The measure has drawn strong pushback from many in public education. Opponents on Tuesday raised concerns about the oversight and funding of charter schools. Focusing on the financing mechanism, GOP Representative Steve Riley said the bill is likely to face a legal challenge if it becomes law. I really don't want us to go through lawsuits again, he said. Democratic Representative Lisa Wilner criticized the maneuvering ahead of the vote, reassigning the bill to another committee and changing the panel's membership. Some bills are not meant to pass out a committee because they're not ready yet, she said. And for the gamesmanship that has gone on to get a yes vote and to get this out of committee, this is not good democratic process. This is not good governance. This is not transparency. The measure received final passage in the Senate Tuesday night with a 22 to 14 vote and now heads to the governor's desk. Senator Robin L. Webb, Democrat from Grayson, also voted against the legislation, asking who are the main supporters? Well, it's rich donors and billionaires and foundations, she said. What's the goal here? Well, to get some of the money and also set curriculum, bring people in to teach so they can set the agenda that goes with their agenda. The next headline is, Margaret Hammonds is chosen to replace late council member. The Whitesburg City Council has appointed Margaret Hammonds to fill the empty seat on the council. Hammonds of Dow Collins Street in West Whitesburg is a member of the Whitesburg Rotary Club and local treasurer and contact for the Imagination Library, a program founded by country music star Dolly Parton that sends free, age-appropriate books to children. Hammonds is a former employee of Whitaker Bank. She replaces council member Debbie Eldridge, who died March 1st. The next story is, three are sentenced after pleading guilty to drug-related counts. Three Letcher County men entered guilty pleas to drug charges in Letcher Circuit Court. They are Richard Glenn Brown, 54, of 2451 Smoot Creek Road, Weisberg, who pleaded guilty to trafficking in a controlled substance, methamphetamine less than two grams, use, possession of drug paraphernalia, operating a motor vehicle under the influence of alcohol, drugs, second offense, aggravator, and tampering with physical evidence. Brown was sentenced to imprisonment for three years. Anthony Sean Tackett, 42, of 277 Highway 343, Neon, who pleaded guilty to first-degree possession of a controlled substance, first offense, methamphetamine, criminal use possession of drug paraphernalia, and second-degree possession of a controlled substance, first offense. Tackett was sentenced to imprisonment for two years and one month. Christopher Prophet, 38, of 3904 Thornton Road, Thornton, who pleaded guilty to first-degree promoting contraband and first-degree possession of a controlled substance, first offense, methamphetamine. Prophet was sentenced to five years imprisonment. The next headline is, Federal Jury Indicts Millstone Man on Gun Possession Charge. 
a Millstone man arrested after a six-hour standoff in February, has now been indicted by a federal grand jury. Jeffrey Hampton, 43, of 270 Lick Fork Road, was arrested February 17th after police and sheriff's deputies attempted to serve him with a mental petition. Deputies first said he fired a shot at them. However, a follow-up investigation by Kentucky State Police said there were no guns in the trailer when they searched it. The only firearm listed in the citation as being found was a shotgun that was lying on a kitchen chair that officers removed from the house when they chased Hampton inside. It had an empty round in the chamber, the citation says. That gun was outside in the yard when officers reported a shot fired from inside the house and is apparently the shotgun for which Hampton now faces two federal charges. The federal indictment accuses Hampton of being a convicted felon in possession of a firearm and possession of a short-barreled shotgun. According to the indictment, the 20-gauge New England Arms Company shotgun was less than 26 inches long and the barrel was less than 18 inches, the shortest legal length for a shotgun. Hampton had also previously been convicted of a crime punishable by more than a year in jail, the report says. The government is also seeking forfeiture of the weapon and ammunition collected at the scene. Police said Hampton locked himself in a room after police arrived, and police said they believed they heard a gun cock and fire. Kentucky State Police Special Response Team arrived at the scene that afternoon and began negotiating with Hampton. After negotiations failed, troopers fired tear gas into the house. According to the citations, state police tased Hampton when he refused to comply with their commands and then arrested him. He was taken to the Ledger County Jail, where he remained this week. He is charged with possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, resisting arrest, menacing, and terroristic threatening. Kentucky State Police later said the sound officers heard was an electronic lock being operated. The next article is an opinion by Angie Hatton, 94th District State Representative. Here's why officials oppose the sale of Kentucky Power. Although we are in the final days of the 2022 legislative session, I want to dedicate most of this week's column to something especially important here at home, the sale of Kentucky Power to Liberty Utilities. The state's Public Service Commission is conducting a multi-day review this week of the transfer and will soon decide whether it should be approved. I appeared before the PSC on Monday to raise serious concerns and was proud to join with 27 of my fellow legislators in a letter we submitted to the agency. Most of the legislators belong to what we call the Mountain Caucus, which is bipartisan and has both House and Senate members. We may disagree on policy from time to time, but on this issue, the vast majority of us are speaking with one voice. As we wrote in our letter, we worry that this transfer will potentially result in higher rates and poorer service by those affected by the sale. We are pleased that the Attorney General's Office, as well as Kentucky Industrial Utilities Customers Incorporated, agree that this particular sale is not in the public's interest. I don't have to tell anyone reading this that our region has suffered under Kentucky Power's crushing electric bills for years now. My own grandmother cried after she was charged $900 one month, a cost she couldn't begin to afford on a fixed income. And I have received countless messages from others with similar stories. 
It is beyond unfair that one of the most economically distressed regions in the country also has some of the highest electric bills. Making it worse is the fact that our region has played such a major role in powering the United States for well over a century. There's no need for these high rates. American Electric Power's stock price has tripled since the start of the Great Recession, and its CEO makes more than $11 million a year. What really stings is the fact that AEP is poised to walk away with more than a half billion dollar profit from this sale. If PSC does approve the transfer, we believe that 90% of this windfall should be given back to the customers who made this very profit possible. In the short term, it is meaningful that Liberty Utilities has pledged to lower electric rates by about 15%, but this only extends into next year. A company willing to pay 30% more than the value of the utility it is buying, though, means we almost certainly won't see this decline in our monthly bills for long. There is also worry that Liberty Utilities is preparing to move further away from fossil fuels. I believe that we need a strong mix of energy sources, and coal helps make sure that we have the reliability we absolutely must have, particularly when it's hot or cold for long periods. The ideal solution in this case is to give a nonprofit utility the chance to buy Kentucky Power so that those living and working here would only be paying for our actual electrical costs rather than the high salaries and profit margins for a private company. As we wait to see what the PSC decides, I want to end this week's column by focusing on two major bills that the General Assembly moved forward last week. I think both, if enacted, would be highly detrimental to public education. The first of these, House Bill 9, took a lot of backroom maneuvering just to get it narrowly through the State House. It technically doesn't affect us because it only authorizes private charter schools for Louisville and Northern Kentucky, but there is no doubt it would have a long-term impact across the state. Charter schools have been legal in Kentucky since 2017, but the legislature has yet to authorize dedicated funding. House Bill 9 begins to change that, and if charter schools gain a foothold, more will inevitably follow. It's highly unlikely we'll see them anywhere close by, but we will be paying for them just the same, at a time when public education remains significantly underfunded. I fully support our private schools, but public dollars should go only to public education, not to a private company's bottom line. If House Bill 9 doesn't affect us right away, Senate Bill 1 would. Now before Governor Andy Beshear for review, Senate Bill 1 would take away authority from site-based decision-making councils when it comes to curriculum and hiring principals. I have served on two of these councils and have seen firsthand how they bring parents, teachers, and administrators together because all want what is best for their schools. I believe our local superintendents are among the best in Kentucky and have no doubt that they will keep our schools strong. At the same time, I also think our councils have done an outstanding job for the past 30 years and believe we should not take such a drastic step without at least more study. I also disagree with Senate Bill 1's move to require that two dozen historical documents be taught in our middle and high school social studies classes. Most of these primary sources, such as the U.S. Constitution and presidential speeches, are already standard in our textbooks. But the General Assembly has never stepped into the classroom like this. It's a slippery slope, 
and implies that we don't trust our teachers to do their job. I'll further discuss these bills and others like the budget in the next few weeks. In the meantime, please keep calling and emailing me with your thoughts and concerns. The next story is Vaught's Views by Larry Vaught. Can Calipari win back Kentucky's fan base? John Calipari has faced a lot of challenges at Kentucky, but after going 9-16 and during the 2020-21 season and then losing to 15th-seeded St. Peter's last week to end this season, he has a major challenge awaiting him. Can he win back the Kentucky fan base? No, the fan base is not abandoning Kentucky basketball. However, many U.K. fans are either questioning the coach or have at least lost some faith in him. Calipari might already have been sensing that not long after the NCAA tournament upset loss when he posted this message to Big Blue Nation on Twitter. I feel for our team, our fans, and our staff. This team deserves something good to happen because of how they worked and what great teammates they became. Our fans deserved it too. We were all ready for this year. This team didn't disappoint, and I remain proud and fond of each of these players, Calipari posted. Please steer your disappointment and anger toward me. These kids did this for all the Big Blue Nation, and I wish I could have dragged them over the finish line. My focus is on these kids and recruiting, so we continue being a program that has a chance to do something special every year. The culture we've built in this program expects that and demands it. Problem is, Kentucky is having a hard time doing those special things recently. Kentucky became just the 10th number two seed out of 145 in NCAA play to lose to a 15 seed, and it was the first time since 1986, and only third time ever, that UK lost to a double-digit seed in NCAA play. St. Peter's was an 18.5-point underdog, making it the fourth-largest betting upset since the NCAA expanded to 64 teams in 1985. It's a huge turnaround for how Calipari's NCAA run started when he came to UK in 2009. His first years at UK, the Cats won a national title, reached the Final Four, four teams, and had a 22-4 NCAA tourney record. Since the 2015 Final Four loss to Wisconsin, UK is 9-5 in NCAA play and has not made it past the Elite Eight. That means no NCAA tournament wins since 2019, no SEC tournament championships since 2018, and no Final Fours since 2015, for the program Calipari calls the gold standard for college basketball. But what frustrated UK fans so much is that UK beat North Carolina by 29 points, Tennessee by 28, and Kansas by 18 on the road. North Carolina and Kansas both were in the Sweet 16. After freshman Ty Ty Washington injured his leg against Florida on February 12th, Kentucky went 5-4, and four, including 0-3 against ranked teams, and was never the same team. This was a beloved Kentucky team, due in large part to Oscar Shebway, the likely consensus National Player of the Year. After many fans felt disengaged with players during the 9-16 and 16 season a year ago, the Big Blue Nation embraced the Cats, and the fan base could sense a potential national championship run. After Kentucky lost to St. Peter's, there was a huge reaction from Kentucky fans on social media, including my website, where comments exceeded anything during the season. 
The majority of the comments showed the lack of faith fans have in Calipari and his system. Douglas Smith, our program is in worse shape now than before he came on board. Just a simple fact. With the talent we've had, underachiever is correct. Kim Kurtzinger, I've been off the Cal bandwagon for a few years. Finally, people are joining me. If Cal can't adapt to the changes needed, then he needs to go. And all the maniac yelling, the jerking guys out the second they make a mistake, only hurts the team. I don't see why anyone would want to play for him. And this concludes the reading of the Mountain Eagle. Your reader has been Bill Van Arstel. Now please stay tuned for continued programming. On behalf of everyone here at Radio I, thank you for listening, and have a good day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.